I'm David Matson, and this is Primetime 89. A chance for me to visit and talk story, check in and catch up with classmates from a generation ago, finding out how they're doing, where they are, how they got there, and what experiences they've had along the way. Moana Wilan, a Ewan as I knew her in high school, is the youngest of her siblings. She was a motivated athlete who played several sports, and her brother's accomplishments helped fuel her motivation. A world traveler, and more recently a mother, she works hard balancing her career and her family. Hi, David. Hey, Moana. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Very good. So you look very nice. You look different than the last time I saw you at the reunion. I cut my hair a bit. It's it's a lot easier when you're a, a busy single mom with yeah. an eleven-year-old. Yeah, mm-hmm. he keeps me pretty busy. So, what's his name? His Son. name is Brewer. B R E W E R, like uh, the surfboard shaper, Dick Brewer. His his father oh, okay. is a surfer and has oh. many many custom boards. The promise between the two of us, if we had a boy, he would get to name our son, which he did, Brewer. And if it was a girl, then I would get to name. But it's just one. Yeah. yeah when, when you said Brewer, the first thing that came to mind was beer. So, yeah. Everyone says that. And yeah. his dad's a bartender. So it's like, yes, he is a bartender, but it's in reference to Dick Brewer, the surfboard shaper. So it's kind of like a double entendre there, you know, he's uh, yes. Brewer, dealing with alcohol and also you know, the, the surfboard thing that he's got going on. <laughs> Absolutely. So today's Saturday. What would you normally be doing on a Saturday if you weren't here talking to me? Normally, Brewer, uh, he's involved in spike and serve for volleyball. Uh, this morning, he had a spike and serve from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. So he's pretty much enjoying it. It seems to be something that is right up his alley at, at this point in time. So we're just going to follow that for now mm-hmm. and see where it takes him. We're kind of on a lunch break, you know, doing chores at home, but he's relaxing. Did you grow up in Papakolea? No. Well, I mean, we visited our grandparents on the weekends, but my hometown is Kaneohe. And I attended, you know, elementary at He'e'ia. Okay. We were the He'e'ia Hawks. We live in a small town where my mom was the lunch supervisor at our school because uh, she had four children. The four ducklings all went to He'e'ia, so... Are you the oldest? I am the baby. There was nothing that we could do that my mom did not know about. Any one of us did anything wrong. It was the janitor knew my mom or all the teachers knew my mom. As I got older, I realized that was the village. You know how they say it takes a village to raise a child. That was her village. And my parents are very involved in sports. Like my dad was like a Pop Warner president for football in Kaneohe. My mom was like a treasure for the Bobby Sox League as we all participated in sports. But my dad was old school. He was strict. Like we sat at the table and had dinner and cut conversations and every child had an opportunity to speak. Some spoke more than others. And it was like a sit down family dinner, old school, dad at the head of the table, mom on the other side. But I always felt like because my mom was a working mom that there was like this 50-50. My dad did the dishes and my mom did the dishes. We all did chores. It was never any question, I guess, in my mind that it really does take a partnership 
like give and take here and there and then some. And my parents were constantly working on it. They had this general ledger, you know, as pockets, right? They, they write down all of their financial transactions. Anytime um, they had to pay a bill, you write it in the general ledger. And they had this envelope in their uh, drawer and that was like the petty cash fund. And so I had spent all of my lunch money and all of my allowance. And of course the Manipur man is coming down the street. So we all know about the petty cash fund. So I thought, right. I thought I would just like grab like just a couple dollars to go get my candy and gum and noodles and whatever it is I wanted and I'll pay it back. And they wouldn't even notice it because there's so much money in there. So I thought just $2, they won't miss it. <laughs> Wrong. And of course I got in trouble and then I got grounded and, you know, I'm crying like it was only $2. I was going to pay it back. And my dad goes, that's not the point. It is for emergencies. You still have to ask permission. You can't just go ahead and help yourself. If you don't know how to manage your money in one week and you spent all of your lunch money, which you're supposed to spend and your allowance, then you need to learn to manage your money better. Oh, right? Only 10 years old. <laughs> Yeah, I think I was about there, nine or ten. Yeah. But of course, I'm boohooing because I'm. I didn't really get lickings, but I got in trouble. You know, like the lecture. You know. Yeah, it sounds like a good lesson. Like oh, a it was a good book. lesson. Like I mean, I was like bawling, and I said, "I'm so sorry, Dad. I will not do that again." He goes, "Either you do more chores so you can earn more money, and that was something that stuck, or yeah. you manage your money better." So I started bribing my brothers and sisters. Hey, are you going out on a date with your girlfriend? My older brother, Arnold. And he's like, yeah, why? I go, I'll do your dishes. And he goes, okay, so you're going to get paid for my chores. I go, well, since I'm doing your chores, I'm going to charge you a dollar extra. So I'll get the $5 and the dollar extra because I'm doing your work for you. And he goes, what? So that's kind of how I started hustling my way up the ladder. That is like every time somebody was in a bind, I was like, okay, I'll do your chores, but I'm going to have to charge you a fee. And they're like, what do you mean charge a fee? And I'm like, well, because, you know, I only get 75 cents for emptying eight rubbish cans. How am I supposed to make any money? I waited for that perfect moment. Like they had to be in a bind because I couldn't negotiate if they weren't in a bind. They could just be, forget it. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't always made perfect financial decisions, but it definitely was something that stuck in my head about having to work hard. Like you got to put in the time you know, to, to get to where you need to be. And I feel like a lot of that has helped push me through like really hard financial times or just getting, you know, through life in general. And I feel fortunate to have had those lessons so early on, you know, and I, I try to teach my son. It's, it was nice growing up in Kaneohe. Like literally we walked everywhere. We rode our bikes. It was someplace where we felt safe. So the community was really tight. It was a different time, of course. Now that um, Brew and I are back in Kaneohe, like I'll see some of my friends and I'll be like, this is what I miss, that hometown connection. And I felt like if I needed to start all over again, Kaneohe is someplace that I know, like the back of my hand, you know, mm-hmm. my dad is right down the road. My sister is, of course, right down the road too. So everyone is nearby. So as far as my village, it's mm-hmm. set up here and being able to just drive to people's houses and say hello, especially by my dad's house. I like stop like a few times down our our road where we grew up on and it's it's so fun i'm like hey i'm selling lychee does anybody want to you know buy some wait wait you're yeah. selling lychee or the person is saying that they're selling lychee oh i was selling lychee like during the summertime i help a friend out he brings it in from the big island it just you know one of those sales people that drive up and go, hey you like buy lychee or yes. <laughs> that's what i do <laughs> like i delivered a whole bunch of lychee to helena's the other day 
because for Brewer and I, that's our fast food cheat. When I don't want to make dinner, we go and we have chicken long rice. He does. And then I have um, beef watercress with poi, my favorite. Beef watercress and poi. Just watercress soup, just like literally like a, a beef broth, with just, you know, regular stew meat or some anything, steak meat, something good. And just put watercress inside, a little bit of a soy sauce and you're good to go. That's about it. Maybe a little bit of ginger if you want. I know the owner, so he taught me how to make it. He goes, are you going to make it and stop coming to my restaurant? And I said, no. <laughs> I said, I come to your restaurant. He goes, so you don't have to cook. I go, yes. <laughs> but thank you for letting me know what's in it. <laughs> but yeah, it's nice. It's definitely nice to be back in Kaneohe. It's always interesting to hear how classmates who didn't start at Kamehameha schools from kindergarten adjusted to the school and its culture. For Moana, it was all in the family, and she fit right in. But what was it like starting at Kamehameha for you? Do you remember much about like? I I do. So yes, seventh grade. It was it was a big step for you know from Heia to Kamehameha. <laughs> Technically, I attended Kamehameha from kindergarten. Our parents made us go to a summer school, so I actually knew like Patty Anderson and Robin Marcelo and Lily Noy Grimes. I just remember seeing yeah. Lori Kahikina like on the blacktop and she's like tetherball queen slamming that ball. And yeah. somebody goes, do you want to play? I go, no, <laughs> not with her. Not with I just remember, you know, with her short ehu hair whipping and she's like kicking everybody's butt in tetherball. Got to go school in all the townies, you know, because I was a country girl. It's like three of us, three for four, got into Kamehameha. So my oldest brother, Keith, um, he was our football coach while we were in school. He uh is class of 78 keith yeah don't look at my size and try to compare me to him because he's like six foot three like 380 easy coach keith. i'm trying to he's remember like a big guy okay okay Did he if coach you go back city? and you look in the yes if you go back and you look in the annual you'll see him um we were all waitlisted so i think i was maybe one of two from heia uh -huh. that got in for seventh grade yeah, two weeks before school started. Mm -hmm. And I think my brother Arno had just graduated in 83. So when I got in, he was leaving. By the time I got to seventh grade, I kind of had an idea about a lot of the kids like, and what they were like, meaning yeah. the lifers. But it still was something new, even though I had attended summer school for years. More homework than I ever had before in public school, right? To Kamehameha. Mm -hmm. I think it was just, you know, just in awe of like, wow, now I go to my big brother's school, you know, oh, yeah. and they're not here. You have three older siblings, two brothers and one sister. Yes. So yes. which didn't attend Kamehameha? My sister. She decided that Kamehameha wasn't for her. She's actually two years older, so she's Castle 87. The one above my sister, 83, that's Arnold, and then Keith is uh, 78. When my niece was born, who's class of 03, 2003 she when she was a baby i would after school go and babysit oh my, my really? dorm. yes arnold is um number two yep he's retired navy he lives in san diego or rancho bernardo okay we got a bunch of classmates who live in san diego funny enough you asked that i had gone to visit shane one summer and i was with my brother and then shane came to grab me and then we all met up it was a uh, Shane, myself, Jason Navarro, Warner Grant, but we all met up at Pack Beach, that famous hangout 
this place called the Firehouse. It was really nice to get together with everyone. Great weather, great food, great times. So yeah, it was nice to see everyone. When I was in high school and, and playing sports, multiple sports, that is, it was really hard to juggle, you know, just the study time. And So what and, sports did you play in high school? I played softball, soccer, and basketball, like back to back. So yes, it was very busy. I definitely think it kept me in shape. Mm-hmm. And um, I think if I'm not mistaken, that story that you made mention of, you were talking about the freshman run. Yes. I think it was me. Was it you? Yes. Because me and Jason went in. Yeah. When you were telling that story, I go, oh my God, I remember. I don't remember. You know what? I I don't even know who it was because all I heard was the first girl. And I'm like. You all dropped your cups and ran. I I was like, yes, I'm I'm getting out of here. (laughs) That's exactly what happened because my dad was pacing me. My dad is an ex-Marine. And he's also a marathon runner. Our goal was not necessarily to be the first girl, but it was to beat my brother's time, my brother Arnold. And I was falling behind. And he said, you're not going to make it. You need to step it up. And he just blitzed and he laughed. And I was like, dad, wait, I don't feel well. And I think that's when I came upon all of you at that last watering station. And then you all dropped your cup and like, oh my God, it's a girl. And you all ran. And then I ran because I'm trying to chase you guys. Well, trying to chase my father. Anyway, long story short, when I finally got to the finish line, you know, I'm like just flustered, right? With my dad. And he's like, congratulations. You beat your brother by like 10 seconds. And I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, you made, yeah. He goes, you made the time. And I'm like, so when they announced my name, he goes, hey, they're talking about you. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, you're the first girl. And that was, I think it was myself and Jason Wahine Okai. He definitely was the first. He was, he was a very good runner. He was the best. Oh, I know. Like a gazelle. Like he just. I was at my best back then still not even close, no competition. (laughs) (laughs) Like when you said that story and I was like, Oh my God, David was in that crowd. (laughs) I was at that water station. (gasps) <gasps> no oh my gosh yeah <laughs> cool huh? so cool did you dig that out of the archives this is one of the the few shirts that i things that i have um, that I, is I don't know vintage. why or how i even kept it but i did oh of- my god that is a classic shirt i can't believe you kept the freshman shirt i wish i kept mine <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I love it think. so okay i have a question for you okay ask do you have the spirit spear? No. Are you telling the truth? I am telling the truth. You know what? <laughs> okay, just checking. To you. I'm gonna... I knew it. I knew it. I was going to say it, but I, you know, I don't like to. <laughs> like Todd, we got to go to Todd's house and go find out what's in his room that never changed. What do you have uh, from high school? Do you have anything that you I know. Actually, I have like a whole bunch of photos, like prom photos, sophomore banquet, junior prom, senior prom. Like I have my class ring somewhere. Are there any classmates who you keep in touch with more so? Probably currently the the twins, Jadine and Janelle. We all went on a, a wonderful trip to Florida. Uh, Janelle's daughter, Jalen, um, was involved in a tournament uh, for volleyball. Mm-hmm. So we went, of course, to support her. And then we tacked on a Disney World trip. And it was the first time for Bob and I 
to go to Disney World mm -hmm. uh, before the big Delta variant broke <laughs> into the spotlight. And so there were four of us adults and then the two children, uh, Jalen and Brewer. And my son and Jalen, uh, Janelle's daughter, are six months apart. So, and they're pretty close because they see each other a lot. Mm -hmm. But they were the only ones who were not vaccinated because of their age. It, it didn't stop us from having a good time. So we were there for like 10 days. It was nice. We felt lucky that we were able to go tag along. Yeah. And I think with Jadine and Janelle and Jadine's husband, Louis, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that they love my son. <laughs> you know, and they have so much, they have so much patience. And of course, Jalen, you know, they There's keep so each other company. Yeah. yeah. We're Hawaiian by virtue of our ancestors. And our connection with our culture and what it means to us is in no small part shaped by the same. So what does Hawaii and being Hawaiian mean to you? I think I mentioned earlier, my mom is one of 12. And my grandmother, her mm. name is Jinoa Keabe. Oh. She was a very famous Hawaiian entertainer. Yes. And I was always in awe of her. And I thought, I want to be just like her or, you know, I want to entertain like her but I think as I got older even when I got into Kamehameha I realized that it wasn't my path and I think the one day that I realized that and I explained to her um, my cousin Steve Kiabe he and I are first cousins yeah so his father and my mom are brother and sister mm -hmm. so he was on his path with John Koimikawa dancing hula and of course I played ukulele at home and stuff, but I didn't dance hula. And, but we'd play music together. We'd do kanikapilas at family parties. But um, my grandma said, oh, I would love it if you and Steve could play together. And he looked at me and I said, I like playing for our family. And then I looked her in the eye and I said, but, but grandma, you know, I'm alto too. I don't know if I can ha'i like you, but I love Hawaiian music. I don't think I'll be able to carry on your legacy. And I just started crying. And she said, why not? And I said, because I told her, I think I have the heart for it, but I don't have the voice for it. And it's okay. And I pointed to my cousin, right, Pomai. But she has the voice for it. And she lives with you. And I explained to her that I think that it's her destiny. I told her, I just don't think it's my destiny. But it doesn't mean that I don't love you and that I don't want to be Hawaiian. It's just, I don't think it's my calling. I don't think it's for me, Grandma. And so she looked at me and she goes, that's okay. And I said, really? And she goes, yeah, it's okay. She goes, I didn't know you were going to cry about it. And I go, well, you know, I'm at Kamehameha and, you know, I have this opportunity to learn from you. You're my grandma. You know, I, I thought I'm so sorry. And she goes, you don't need to be sorry. She said, but thank you for sharing with me. Mm -hmm. And that was that. I think being Hawaiian is how you live your life, how you treat people. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I feel like my grandma always told us that it didn't matter what we looked like. I have like two, 300 cousins and we, some are fair, some are darker, some look pockets, some look, you know, Japanese, whatever the case may be. Like my grandma had instilled in us at a very young age that it didn't matter what you look like. It's who you are, you know, the kind of person that you are and how you treat people. And so, and she told us that she loved us. Like when my grandma told you that she loved you, she looked you right in the eye and she was right in front of your face and she would kiss you and say, I love you. And to me, that meant the world like she yeah. accepted us all as we were you know sometimes people say well you don't even look Hawaiian and look at your son he looks so howly and I said that doesn't make him not Hawaiian he's still Hawaiian 
I think that when people ask, you know, the question like, how much Hawaiian do you have? Like my answer when I first got to Kamehameha was enough. And the reason I said enough was because all four of my grandparents are Hawaiian. So we're like over 80. The answer represented enough, meaning that even if it's just one drop, that makes you Hawaiian, period. End of story. Yeah. You Hawaiian. Yeah, that's it. There's, you know, it doesn't matter if you're 50 or 16 or whatever. Hawaiian is Hawaiian. And I I think it becomes very divisive. I, I know there has to be a blood quantum for um, Hawaiian homes and for, you know, other things. But I just feel like once you're Hawaiian, that's it. That's all you need to know. Good. But we learned that from our grandma. What's your ethnic uh, breakdown? My ethnic breakdown is Hawaiian, Chinese, and Spanish. Those are the top three that I'm aware of. I think my mom said like, you know, English, French, something, little sprinkles of that here and there. But the top three are the Hawaiian, Chinese, and Spanish. Me too. So, well, of course, multi-ethnic. <laughs> yeah. Oh. It, is, it is interesting when you, um, you know, because you live in New York. I lived in Michigan for a short time. It's the same thing. Like, Hawaiian is kind of an enigma where it's like, so do they wear clothes? <laughs> when I got hired by Northwest, I think it was still like the mid 90s and it was Michigan. So it was pretty rural for me. It was okay. You're not African-American or Caucasian. What are you? Well, I'm Hawaiian, native Hawaiian. And I said, oh, and by the way, we're, we're, we're the 50th state. You know, <laughs> I'm like, we're annex. And, you know, you try to give them some background information, which of course is it's futile. They're still asking, like, well, can I see your passport? I go, I do have an American passport. It was the pilots. Like, when we would travel to foreign destinations, you need to go in that line. I go, oh, I'm an American. And they're like, I'm going to stand in the same line as you. Don't worry about it. I got this. <laughs> I'll Gee, take care of it. it is. Like but, I mean, I think it was just, it was exposure that a lot of us that were hired out of Hawaii could speak a second language. And maybe they assumed because we could speak Japanese that I was Japanese, meaning that I was foreign. True. And it was, like, one American, which would be me. Mm -hmm. and all Filipinas. Mm -hmm. That's how it worked at Northwest for that particular run. Moana had advantages that helped her career success. One was her ability to speak Japanese. The other was her mother. She's been in a great job, a dream job as a flight attendant for decades. And while she seems ideally suited for that profession, that isn't where she started. It was interesting though, living away from home. I felt like that was my college experience because mm -hmm. I I never went away for college. So literally when I was 21 and I left Hawaii, okay. packed my baggies and moved to yeah. Minnesota for training in negative 20 degree weather, I thought, oh my God, what did I do? <laughs> what How was I thinking? How long were you there? Five. I stayed there for five years. I shoveled snow for five years. That's what you Midwest. do. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, in the heart of the Midwest. And uh, at the time, I was engaged. Um, and I think that if I didn't have, um, the, if it wasn't the two of us, I don't, I probably would have packed my bags and came right back home. I think um, that it was a test on our relationship, you know, as well as many other things. I mean, both of us, it was our first time living away from home, um, dealing with such a significant time change, six hours ahead, you know, you live in New York. Yeah. Um, the weather lake effects snow and then you've got these you know 100 degree 
um, temperatures in the summer. But on the flip side of all of that, it it really opened up our world. We got to travel to like London, Paris, Rome, Frankfurt, you know, Abu Dhabi, Beijing, Shanghai, and, you know, different uh, stuff in Mexico, like for a country girl like me from Kane Ohe, Mm -hmm. (laughs) driving over the mountain as a child, I was like, mom, we don't want to go to Hula. Why not? Your grandma has her own studio. I would be like, I know, but mom is all the way over the mountain. And it was. Kamehameha was the same. When I got into Kamehameha in seventh grade, it was like, my mom's like, you need to get up early. I go, I know, but it's all the way over the mountains. I know. Well, I remember you telling me that you're a first class flight attendant. So is, it, is the clientele there a little easier to manage or... That's a great great question. And a lot of people ask me that. And it really depends on if they were upgrades, if they're regulars, meaning they're like platinum, Pulani, frequent flyers, we have uh, different levels within the first class realm. And I think that it really depends on the person. I'd like to say that for the most part, they behave better. But sometimes we have very picky ones. Like, you know, I used to do JFK. The, the New York route quite a bit. And that's very high end clientele. I think this one lady asked me if I could wrap her feet with a blanket. And my girlfriend gave me this look like, no, don't you dare. But she was this older woman, like, I would call her like a Rockefeller type. Yeah. And so I said, would it make you feel better so you could go to sleep? And she said, actually, it would. And I would really appreciate it. And it wasn't, I guess, for me, it wasn't so much what she asked it was the way she did it she was very polite and she asked me very yes very classy and i felt like okay and that was it she went to sleep for like a good five or six hours on a ten and a half hour flight whatever it might have been and my girlfriend goes i can't believe you did that i was like she went to sleep right she didn't ring her call button anymore she was totally comfortable I told her, I took the bean for the team, right, in sports speak, (laughs) and I felt like it was worth it, and she was so happy, and then she wrote in about it, and we all got, they call it orchid letters, so for me, I felt like there are certain things that I will do, because I feel like it will appease them in a way that can satisfy that one passenger where the light is not constantly going off, I mean, you have to be able to especially up front, be able to assess each passenger and what their needs are, but be able to operate within the realm of what our protocols are, which of course, this was all pre-COVID. I would definitely say experience helps. You know, (laughs) I have worked for three different airlines now. So, and I- How many years have you been a flight attendant? 27, 27, but I've been in the airline industry for nearly 30 since we graduated. It was one of those- careers that I never imagined I would fall into. What did you start uh, out as? Customer service agent at Hawaiian Air, mm-hmm. part-time, working for like three or four hours a day. It was my mom's like, babe, you go work for the airline so mom can fly for free. And that was the line. <laughs> she goes, tell them you speak Japanese. That's why I made you take Japanese at Kamehameha. I'm like, I know mom. I did it because she said that was a way for me to get a better job. I wasn't really in agreement, but wait, I felt wait, like- so How's it, your Japanese? Do you speak you know, pretty it, good Japanese functional? I, I would say good enough conversational. I mean, uh, I had the opportunity at the same time while I was working at Hawaiian Air to work at Duty Free Shoppers. And it was a random thing. And again, my mother intervened. She uh, politely sent my uh, resume to Duty Free Shoppers. <laughs> and I 
got a phone call saying, oh, we want to interview you for a customer service position. And I said, oh, I, uh, I don't particularly remember applying, but okay. And then I got home and I'm like, mom, I said, did you happen to send my resume in? I didn't know I had a resume, but okay. Did you send one in for a duty-free shopper? She goes, great position. They pay well. It's bilingual. I said, mom, in case you didn't know, bilingual literally means uh, fluent in not just English, but in Japanese fluent. She goes, oh, I've heard you speak before. It's great. And I'm like, mom, you really can't be sending out my resume without my permission. And she goes, just try. Yes. She's like, just give it a go and just try. And lo and behold, I go to the interview and I'm like profusely apologizing, saying, okay, I took four years at Kamehameha and, you know, I'm at Windward Community College right now, I'm, you know, in the intro class and mm-hmm. I really don't want to, you know, waste your time. But she goes, oh, not a problem. Your mom called already. She explains what happened. We'd like to interview oh. you anyway. And I'm just like, okay. And so um, we proceeded with the interview and it was, uh, she's like, well, tell me what you do know. And so I said, okay, I know my colors. And I, I wrote everything and she goes, oh, you can write too. I go, sure, this is easy stuff. Oh, okay. Tell me more. And she's like, what can you say? And I introduced myself. I told her where I lived and how about Kamehameha. And, and that was that. And she goes, okay, thank you so much. Can you start on Monday? And it was a Friday. And I said, excuse me, can you start on Monday? We have a training program and we're hiring customer relations and the rest, as they say, is history. I started there, like literally hit the ground running Monday through Friday, took off one uniform, put on another uniform, was and I went to Waikiki. Jobs or? It was one part-time at Hawaiian and one full-time at Duty Free Shoppers. Okay. And the thing about Duty Free Shoppers, uh, all of my supervisors were Nihonjins who are married to Gaijins, <laughs> meaning, yeah, yeah. you know, anybody that wasn't Japanese. And they had a very difficult time trying to give me directions and then one day I just said uh Nihongo okay desu and it was like this this stress and they stopped sweating when they would come to me it would be like uh Moana-san and then they would like stop like how am I going to say this in Japanese and once I told them that it was okay for them to just say everything in Japanese it was easier for them but what I didn't know at the time was that because of that type of interactions daily five days a week it was like living in Japan, although I'd never left and lived in Japan. That's, that's and like that, a total immersion or language. It totally was immersion. And like a lot of my coworkers were either Hapas or they were Nihonjins. So mm-hmm. most of them spoke very fluent. So wait, so at um, duty free and customer service, how much of the time would you estimate you spoke Japanese? All day, like the 100%. whole eight hour shift. Yes, because all day all, you're standing at the door and you're saying, Irashaimase, Kaimono Kado Machideska, Kochira Edozo, Ukesuke Kanta de Gazaimas, like 2,000 times a day. And this was like mid 90s. So the height of like a huge yeah. like migration of Japanese coming in yeah. for Golden Week, coming in for Marathon, coming in for all of these huge events. I mean, everyone knows in Hawaii that we, mm-hmm. we solely depend on tourism. So it, it was an opportunity unbeknownst to me that was going to set me up for the opportunity to get the job at Northwest as a bilingual flight attendant. It was so valuable. So your your Japanese right now must be pretty strong still. I think it's good enough, but I think that during that time that Mm -hmm. I worked at Duty Free and then went straight to Northwest after thereafter getting hired as a flight attendant, 
it just flowed. I mean, I wouldn't even have to think about it. But when I'm surrounded by all the Nihonjins, then it, it, it comes back again. So let me ask you this. If you were to flip on the television and a Japanese soap opera comes up, would you be able to follow it? Yes. <laughs> yes, because that's what I do. I watch. I watch a lot of the shows Listen, when I get in. That's what's most important, I think. And, you know, I think listening is a lot easier than having to recall specific words to express what you're trying to say, right? If you listen, Absolutely. You're like, those words sound familiar. Yeah, yeah, I know what that means. I know what they're trying to say. You can kind of pick it out of, of the sentence and kind of translate from there. Probably my understanding of Japanese, unfortunately, is way better than Hawaiian. Hawaiian, I mean, we grew up, all four grandparents spoke, but my concept and understanding of Japanese is a lot more fluent than Hawaiian. So do you use Hawaiian at all in, in your life right now? I mean, I have the famous kale ha'aheo and I'll use it. Like there are a lot of flight attendants that are Olelo Hawaii speakers that I've had the opportunity to be exposed to. So I'll ask them, pick up phrases here and there. Probably not as often as I could, but I use some. Like I'll be like, you know, you know, so it's like, please listen, you know, and, you know, go and get your bag, go get ready. But these are all phrases that were taught to me by other Olelo Hawaii speakers at, at Hawaiian Air that I'm so fortunate to be friends with. So I try to, I really do. As a young mother, Moana received a challenging diagnosis, but it was her strength, her humor, and one more thing that lifted her spirits and helped her through this challenging diagnosis and its treatment the second time around. When I, I was going through my breast cancer, I didn't ask for help the first time how hard it was with a, you know, with a young baby because it was my second time in dealing with breast cancer. I actually did a, a double mastectomy. It was going to be even harder because I wouldn't be able to lift my arms or do anything. So what happened was my cousins all stepped in. Um, they took care of my son for like maybe, I think my recovery time was anywhere from eight to 10 weeks. Maybe for like the first four weeks, he was farmed out. So that means he was starting a new school and he was going with his, you know, with my sister and my cousins. And so literally I set him up. I met with the teachers. He knew I had to draw pictures for him and kind of try to explain what was going to happen in the surgery and that it was a lot. And then Touching upon what you said just now, I had a few classmates, they ended up setting up a food train. And that's what I wanted to say about our class. Like, I never got a chance to really thank everybody. I did for the people who came to my house, but it was, it was really so special of our class. And that's what I wanted to say about our class of 89. Like, anybody in our class that had ever gone through a serious health problem or just needed help, like, our class just steps in right away. And it was like, um, some people came to my house, one of um, our classmates, Moya came over and um, I think she did my dishes oh. one time. And then um, Holly, and I can't remember too, like in what order, but like people were delivering food and it was, it was so like heartwarming for me to know that like people that I hardly saw, like just, dropped everything and brought food over and that was that was huge in my recovery and you know so just having support and I I feel like for a lot of people that don't have that I feel for them because 
we are lucky as a class that we have such generous uh, classmates with their time, with food and money and everything. So I am grateful that I was a recipient of that generosity and that type of support. What did that food train and being a recipient of it, what, what did it mean? I think beyond the food, like, you know, especially for us locals, us Hawaiians, like, I don't know how other people equate food, but for me, when I see food, it reminds me of my mom. Food represents is something that's so much more. It's like not just to nourish our bodies, but our soul as well. So I think when the, our classmates were reaching out, it was just like a connection, you know, to be able to connect like friendship and support and love and all of that within the food and and then some. And, and that's, that's huge. When you're, whenever you're going through like a serious illness, especially like breast cancer, I think that having a support system, maybe family, friends, classmates for us, we're so lucky. That's, that's a lot. I mean, like, I don't think you could ever have enough support. I mean, and it was so overwhelming and, and nice. Like people were wearing pink. I think was the day that I went into surgery. I remember that um, they had a lot, they were posting it online and, sending messages of support and I I was so grateful and I was so thankful like I cried like every time I looked at it but it, I, it was just from being so happy and there was so much food I'll just say there was so much food in my fridge I had to like say okay I think I'm good for like at least a few weeks now but thank you so much but it was just neat like they were like what do you like and sure. so I said you know what do me a favor make me something that you think that I would like that you make for yourself and even if it's something I don't normally eat, I can try it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, this is something my mom makes. And I said, great. And they're like, well, what if you don't like it? I go, well, let me try it. You know, so I felt like it was an opportunity for them to showcase their cooking talents or something that brings them joy. And then they get to share it with me. Was there one particular meal that, that stands out in your memory? You know, that's, that's funny you said that, but... I don't know if there was any one thing in particular. I just felt like it was all good. I think I was just so overwhelmed and thankful that people came. Like, I know I had Hawaiian food. I had, gosh, I had like chicken dishes and just so many different types of food. Like, I felt like because it was coming from a good place, it tasted so good. Yeah. Like these, like whoever brought it to me, they were so earnest in supporting me. Like, and, and it really was yummy. And I just felt like, just so happy like I think because whoever was making the food it was just so comforting like I felt like well, when, they, I when think, they include that special ingredient then it's always good right the, I love yes uh, yes I felt like everybody came with good intentions mm -hmm. that's what it was everybody came over with good intentions and good vibes and I felt so lucky like I felt like my son was lucky that that he was loved and I, it was one less thing for me to have to worry about. For example, like everybody knows my son at Helena's. So mm -hmm. all my sister and um, my cousins would have to do is show up and they're like, hi, Brewer. And they're like, okay, four orders, chicken long rice, no green onion. And order. everybody was floored. They're like, oh my God. Cause I told them I'm going to go to surgery. My cousin, my sister, I don't know who's going to bring him in. And they're like, don't worry. We know his order. And like, he wouldn't even have to order. It was like the mayor just walked in. Wait, wait a minute, he would... you and Brewer, you said four orders. Is no, it... that's just for him. That's just for him. He That's how much chicken long rice he eats. That's just for him. When, when I order for him, that's him. Wow. He, 
He loves chicken long rays. Clearly, yeah, for orders worth. <laughs> it was great that he was taken care of and I was able really to focus on healing, especially that time because normally when you go for a, a major surgery like a double mastectomy, the following surgery, if you decide to have implants thereafter, it's a series of several surgeries after, including like, I don't know if people understand spacers, which go under the skin to provide support for the skin. So to get used to it, and then you're going to put the implants in after they remove all the breast tissue from the initial surgery. But um, I told them that I didn't have the time that I was a mother, I was a young child and whatever they decided to do, it needed to be done that day. And so I think on the books, it should have been like maybe anywhere between an eight to 10 hour surgery, depending on the health of the patient. So what they did all in the same day was three surgeries. They did a double mastectomy, uh, axillary dissection, because they had to take up more lymph nodes. And then they did the implants all at once. There was no, you know what I mean? I told them I'm not coming back. You either do it all one time or not. And the doctors are like, you can't do that. That's, that's not what we do. And I said, well, how about I not do anything at all? And they said, no, you, you have to, you have to get the double mastectomy. I said, I know, but what you're not realizing is I'm not going to like get this one surgery and then go back to work and then take off again. And then do, I said, that makes no sense to me. And I don't have that kind of time. I have a child to raise. There's so many things going on. Sure. Can you just try? And they did it. And it was, thankfully very successful i mean most women will wake up and they don't see anything meaning because the breast tissue and everything is removed but when i woke up literally i saw the same thing so i i got scared i woke up like maybe they didn't do it and then so the doctor goes what's wrong and i go i see boobs and he goes yes he goes remember we did the whole surgery and i go was it eight hours? And he said, no, he said it actually took, I think maybe like six to seven, but he said that everything went well. So we just, you know, we progressed with your surgery and, and we're happy with the results. And he pretty much saw, I said, it was a joke because okay? humor helped me at the time to get through. And I said, did you put in double D? And he's like, Moana. <laughs> and I said, okay, uh, how about C? You know, it was like joking around. He's like, whatever I took out, he goes, I put it put back in and maybe a little bit more. And I said, okay. He's like, almost close to a full C cup. He goes, but he goes, remember, I'm not going to put too much. He goes, just enough because, you know, your back muscles, there's, a, you know, a whole bunch of logistical yeah, things. Exactly. And I said, okay. But I, 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 you know, joked around. He goes, Moana. I said, well, I would have preferred a double D. But anyway, thanks, doc, you know. And he, he shook his head, you know, all the nurses would laugh, but um, I was lucky, you know, I was lucky because I know for a lot of women that don't have that option, I, I'm not sure if it has to do with, you know, medical coverage or otherwise, it must be devastating to wake up and not see something that was there before, basically, especially for us women, you know, something you've had your whole life and now it's gone. I felt lucky that I was able to see, you know, Later on, I mean, I was wrapped up like Mulan, literally. Going into surgery, knowing that my son was going to be taken care of, yeah. I felt fortunate. Gosh, yeah. How long ago was this? Ooh, that was back in 2015. 
my new thing is uh, trying to do marathons, walking, of course, but um, it's symbolic of every medal that I get is, of course, a mark of completion and um, a mark of completion of motherhood as well, that if I can finish a marathon, that I can survive motherhood <laughs> and get, you know, get this boy to the goal line. So, yeah. Hmm. This is my uh, little person here. Say hi, Uncle David. Hey, Good-looking <laughs> boy. Thank you. So just the three of my uh, nationalities and then Scotch and Irish. Okay. So, yeah. How's that for a combo pack? Yeah. Well, it's a good-looking Hapa kid, so, you know. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I, yeah, funny story about that. I, um, I drove up to Punahou like the first day. And I had, we all have our like parent signs. It says, you know, the name of our child and what grade they're in. And so uh, one of the, I call them door openers or the valets. It's uh, usually the high school students said, um, hi. And I said, hi, I'm, I'm here to pick a brewer. And they're like, and you are? And I said, oh, I'm his biological mother. <laughs> My name is Moana. What's your name? She said, oh, Mrs. Whelan. I'm, I'm so sorry. And I go, really, it's okay. I, I know you wouldn't guess, but Brewer's actually Hawaiian. <laughs> and so I smiled and she goes, oh, I'm so sorry, Mrs. Whelan. So the teacher runs over because it was a high school student. Mm -hmm. And she goes, Mrs. Whelan, we're so sorry. I go, it's okay. He's very hapa looking, but oh. he's mine. He has my big eyes and I smiled because he's so hapa looking. He had red, red, red hair and he was yeah, fair. Yeah. And, you know, she doesn't look like a Mrs. Whelan. For sure. But but it was just funny, like, you know, like, that's the Howley boy's mommy. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I mommy, mommy. Yeah. It was just, it's just funny. But he's been there, like I said, ever since kindergarten. Um, he's come a long way, of course. Sure. But yeah. I feel like after all that he's been through, you know, with me and the mm -hmm. breast cancer and just, you know, getting yeah. used to like this whole schooling thing and I think he'll be a good prep for him to set him up to you know manage his time and if, if volleyball is indeed his sport then you know he'll be in the routine of getting his homework done and playing sports uh, entertaining an only child or just one child is uh, that's a tough job like I tell everyone like when you have a bunch I, I realize that now because I'm the youngest of four like it's easy because others will tattletale on each other and then you know everyone's okay right sure but when it's yeah. just one, you have to keep checking on them leaning out. are you okay yeah i'm okay okay just checking every now and then he goes mom i can see you watching i go i know i kept my distance you know i'm far enough away you're like he'll give you the wave like i'm good mom i'm like okay i understand that they're just everything to us yeah of course, yes. Baby collars, we have to help raise them. And, you know, you put so much into them. You're like, oh, yeah. I, I take it as a blessing that I was able to give him all of my, you know, traveling and world experience and life experience to hopefully help him succeed. And sure. then when he goes off to college, you know, someday, then he'll have all of those tools yeah. Yeah. at his disposals. I don't know if there's enough time to put into our children what they will need to know to survive but that's when you just have to you know walk in faith and say you know what I've done the best that I can the rest is up to you son go off into the world and and make your mark right that's right you just which is what I hope to say to him that's why I always tell him when you go off to college son I'm gonna make sure that uh you know how to 
cook, clean, you know, organize, manage your time, homework first, and then you can, you know, have your free time. Mm -hmm. I just try to tell him, just make good choices. He goes, mom, were you perfect? I go, no. <laughs> mom, did you get into trouble in school? Yes. That's what I'm trying to teach you. I know that you're going to make mistakes, but I can, I can give you good advice. He goes, mom, I want to make my own mistakes. I'm like, I know. I know, like he, he says, you got to let me try and you have to let me, he like, that's the kind of conversations we have. And I, I have to sit there and I like put my hands down. I go, okay. He goes, mom, it's okay. He goes, I'm going to be okay. I go, I know, okay. but it's cute. that I feel like it's good that we can have those types of conversations because I feel like when he goes away, then when exactly. those tough moments comes, there will be a little recording playing in his head, you know, my girlfriend's like, if you had more than one, you wouldn't. You wouldn't be like ruminating, she said. I go, wait, what does that word mean? She goes, you're playing it over in your head. I go, oh, I go, probably not. So but, is there a model yeah. or philosophy that you live your life by? Ooh, I think there's something that my mom told me when I was really young. And it was kind of to the effect that if you learn your subject matter well, whatever it might be. So like in my job, if I know what's in my manual, in my in-flight manual, which is like our Bible, and I do what I'm supposed to do, then I don't ever have to worry. But basically she was trying to say that if you spend the time at the get-go, mm -hmm. like meaning that the two times that I had to evacuate, it was at Northwest, mm -hmm. because I spent all that time, that whole seven weeks studying my brains out. When it came time to evacuate, I knew exactly what to do. Once I had to evacuate in the snow, the other time I had to evacuate on land. Luckily, the jetway was still connected, but though both times it was successful. We got everyone out in 90 seconds or less. Nobody got hurt. It, it was um, thankfully a good evacuation, a good egress, and um, people followed our directions, thankfully. I felt like because I put in all that time studying that it paid off. Sure. Yeah. My mom, you know, she didn't go to college and she barely finished high school, but she was a very wise woman and she had this life experience that she was able to apply in her lifetime. And I think that she had this tenacity about her that there's nothing that you cannot do if you don't put your mind to it. She just felt like education was the key and she wanted to teach us that so that we could become successful in our lives and our careers. And then of course, someday raising our families. Yeah, she was a very strong woman. And I, I admired that about my mom. So Moana, yeah, tell me it. something that we didn't know about you, please. Uh, ooh, at one time I was studying to be a pilot. Um, I was coming home from Michigan. I was supposed to meet Jadine for lunch. And I took a wrong turn, ended up at this place called Anderson Aviation. And um, I asked him if I could use his phone. And he was the owner, Mr. Anderson. And so he said, okay, sure, no problem. And so after I got off the phone, then I said, okay, well, thank you. And he goes, hey, do you want to be a pilot? And I looked at him, I said, oh, well, I'm a flight attendant. I don't even live here. I live in Michigan. I work for Northwest Airlines, but thank you. And he goes, well, do you want to take a, you know, a ride around, a test, whatever? So I said, okay, why not? Because he let me use the phone. I felt kind of obligated. So I came back and I ended up like a couple weeks later taking um, that flight. It was fun. And then lo and behold, after that, I ended up taking flight lessons. I was going to Embry-Riddle, 
where I ended up, you know, working on my degree. You attended Embry Riddle. Off campus. That was one thing that I never thought I would be able to do yeah. in my lifetime. It was just the timing of everything that was going on in my life that I wasn't able to yeah. finish it. But it was so fun. How do you feel about turning 50? Um, it's not as old as I thought it was going to be. I feel like I still have a lot to do. <laughs> what are you definitely. looking forward to doing in the next 10 years? Well, definitely getting Bubba to graduation is, is mm-hmm. high on my priority list. And then uh, then the question becomes, what am I going to do after Bubba goes away to school? I'd like to go back to school. I'd like to possibly set myself up for my next career. Um, you know, I've been in the airline industry for almost 30 now. Okay. So I wouldn't mind going back to Embry-Riddle again and getting my master's. Maybe something to do with like aviation security with airports because it's something I'm familiar with. I so what's the me. most meaningful thing that you've done in your life? I would definitely say raising my child. I feel the most meaningful because he's a part of me and of course a part of his father. Him making me a mother has been the most meaningful thing. Like I just... I'm amazed. Like, you know, I remember when he was first born and this, he was like this chunky 36 pound, like nine month old. He was a bruiser. And like, people would look at me like, how old is your child? I'm like, um, like I think about other things they are just accomplishments, but raising him is probably the most meaningful thing that I've ever done, honestly. Oh, well, thank you so thank much you. for spending time. Absolutely. Saturday. Of course. Yeah, Tobo I said thank you so much for letting me borrow his mom for this. And you know what? But thank you so much, David, for bringing our class together and taking the time to do all of this for us. I enjoy it. Thank you. So do I. My pleasure. All right. You take care now. We'll be in touch, Moana. Okay. Bye, David. Thank you. I hope you like this episode of Primetime 89. I'd like to thank our guest, Moana Wilan for taking the time to talk story with us. I'd also like to thank everyone who helped put this together. Jamie Barboza and Nicole Yoshimitsu, Wendy Brown and Kaylee Aquaro, Drake and Dana Kao. And a special thank you to Drez, Dwayne Andres for the music, and Elizabeth Matson with production and editing. I'm your host, David Matson. Be sure to like us and follow us at Primetime 89 Hawaii, where you can see photos of our guests and their stories. And subscribe to get the latest updates and news of upcoming episodes. And join us again with another classmate on Primetime 89.